um, that Moab is mentioned here, it doesn't just say they go to live in another country. And as you read through youth, you're going to realize Ruth is known as a Moabite. It's not Ruth the Moabite, or that woman from Moab, or Ruth from Moab, or the Moabite woman. She's often referred to, so it's important for us to look at these details. That this is uh, where Ruth, uh, you'll find out, is from. She's actually a Moabite woman. So they went to live uh, for a while in the country of Moab, and then it just gets worse. They go there. Um, you have like a really brief, abridged version in your notes. So if, if remember back in the days, flannel graph, I was talking about that last week, and we're going to do a little bit of that soon, but if I had these huge life-size you know, flannel graph things, and there's a you know, the felt board in the background, on one side of the screen there would be a nice family of four, um, this man, um, Ahimelech, and his wife, and two sons. And so they you know, leave, and they go across the felt board over to the other side to Moab. And then after 10 years... Um, then they return, but only two of them return because Ahimelech dies, his sons marry Moabite women, and his, both of his sons die, and they don't have children. It just kind of gets worse. It's tragedy upon tragedy. And some people are probably thinking, well, that's what you get for moving to Moab. Like, you're living with the Moabite people, so it's just kind of natural. Concept. Some people might have been thinking that, some Israelite people. So anyways, they go back. Naomi and Ruth uh, return back to Bethlehem in Judah. So, Flannel graph. Last week I mentioned flannel graph. I saw a lot of smiles come on your face. If you went to vacation Bible school or Sunday school as a, uh, as a child, maybe you had um, flannel graph stories. And I hear that Pastor Jordy wants to revitalize or bring back flannel graph to our Sunday school. Ooh, exciting. Maybe, maybe not. So I found a digital flannel graph story. Ruth is four chapters long. It's important for us to remember the story of Ruth uh, before we get into the reason that she's in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. So let me just tell you uh, the story of Ruth. Many of you know the story, so it'll be kind of a refresher for you. And some of us have not looked at the story or read about it for a while, so it might be new for some of us. But here is um, the digital uh, flannel graph story of the book of Ruth. Ruth chapter 1. Himalek, as I mentioned before, and his wife, uh, his wife's name is Naomi. And their two sons lived in the town of Bethlehem in Judah. When the area was hit with a the famine, they decided to leave to find food in a place called Moab. They traveled to the nearby land where the Moabites lived. The Moabite people did not uh, worship God. They had their own idols, and they had been known for centuries as the enemies of Israelites. Sometime later, Elimelech died. The two sons grew up and married local Moabite women, Ruth and Orpah. Sadly, tragedy struck again. We're only in the first few verses of chapter 1. Sadly, tragedy struck again, and 10 years after the two sons had settled in Moab, uh, they both died. And then now we have three widows, Naomi and her two young Moabite uh, daughter-in-laws, Ruth and Orpah. Naomi then told her two daughter-in-laws, Go back to your own mothers. I'm not sure why I said to go back to because it's typically go back to your fathers, but for some reason, go back to your mothers. Uh, right after, at this point, uh, the story about men has become now a story of women, and it continues uh, to the end. It's now a story about these women. So Naomi says, go back to your mother's homes. May the Lord show you the same kindness that you have shown to your dead husbands and to me. May God help you find new husbands. It's interesting. She doesn't say, may, may the Lord show kindness to you as he has shown to me. Just may the Lord show kindness to you as you have shown um, to me, not as God has 
shown to me. So Naomi kissed them both goodbye. And um, oh, so go back to your land. Um, may God help you find new husbands, right? New Moabite husbands. That would be good for you. Naomi kissed them both goodbye and wept out loud. And they said, no, no, we will go back with you to your people. We're going to go to you back to Bethlehem, to the Israelites. And she said, Naomi said, no, 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 you must return home. Naomi insisted, you can marry again. Naomi had felt very um, bitter, and she felt that God was against her. And so she said, no, you go back to your people. I'm going to, you know, go back, make a life, whatever, in Bethlehem. Orpah and Ruth, the Moabite, uh, they cried again. Orpah kissed Naomi goodbye and turned home to her mother's house. But Ruth instead clung and, and hugged and would not let go of Naomi. Now, Naomi was at this point, and you know when people are really not doing well and they're, maybe they're feeling angry at God, this is probably happens to all of us, if not many of us, if not uh, all of us. And in that time, we just need time to, to be really honest with people. And you need to allow people just to be honest. Because she said some things, and as I was reading it, I don't know if it's sarcastic or not, but she's just saying, like, you know, I'm old, and what, am I going to have, like, more children? And hopefully the children are boys, and then you have to wait till they grow up so you can marry them, right? Because that was the custom back then. If, if, if a widow, uh, if a woman became a widow, then the, her dead husband's brother, remember, that's right, would marry to help. But, so there were no brothers. What, are you going to wait until I have children? First they got married. Like, that's not going to happen, so there's no hope for you. Go back. And so Orpah goes back, but Ruth does not. Orpah, uh, Naomi says, Orpah has returned to her people and their gods, so you go back with her. And Ruth says, do not urge me to leave you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. This is Ruth telling her mother-in-law. Your God will be my, my God. Your people will be my people, and where you die, I will die. Naomi realized there was nothing she could do. So Naomi and Ruth, so the two of them going back across the flannel grass screen uh, back to Bethlehem. When they arrived back in Bethlehem, the barley harvest was just beginning, and their arrival caused quite a stir. People were saying, is that Naomi? Could, could that be you know, Naomi, they asked? And Naomi said, no, I am not Naomi. Naomi means pleasant. She said, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, and Mara means bitter. So she goes, I am not Naomi, I am Mara. I'm changing my name to bitter because God, she says, God has made my life bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. The Lord, she says, brought misfortune on me. She felt embittered toward God, and she was not happy. So, you know, my name, Joel, if I look it up on uh, Joel, well, it means Jehovah is Lord, and so, you know, God is great. But maybe things are going bad. I think, no, my name is not Jehovah's Lord. Like, Jehovah is like, I don't know, not Lord. So I have to change my name or something. So she felt that she had to change her name. But as we read this story, you might think, you know, I think I relate to Naomi more than I relate to Ruth. I mean, it's pretty hard when, you're, when we finish reading the story. You realize Ruth is like, wow, she's amazing. And uh, maybe that's how we all should be, but probably most of us are more like, you know, Naomi. Um, but anyways, if that's, uh, if that's how you relate, that's uh, probably many people relate that as well. Anyways, that's the end of chapter one. Ruth is, Naomi is bitter, and she's changed her name to bitter. She's not happy with how God has treated her. Chapter two, Naomi and Ruth um, have arrived in Bethlehem. They needed food, so um, 
Ruth says, let me go into the barley fields to pick up some leftover grain. See, the poor were allowed to do that. They were allowed to pick up the grain that the harvesters spilled or left uh, on the ground. So she says, okay, go ahead, my daughter. So Ruth went into the fields, and she just happened to go to a field belonging to a guy named Boaz. And Boaz was actually a relative of Naomi's dead husband, Elimelech. Um, and so uh, later, Boaz arrived. She, he comes to the field. He's like, hey, what, what is... Um, well, first of all, he says, the Lord be with you. Let's try that. The Lord be with you. And the harvesters replied, the Lord bless you. I don't know if that's a thing, but how about that? I say, the Lord be with you. And say, the Lord, the Lord be with you. The Lord bless you. So I guess maybe that's their common greeting. And then he sees this, this woman over here. And he says, who is that woman? He asked the man in charge of the harvesting. And, she, and this is his response. She is the Moabite. Okay, remember what Moab and what Moabites mean to people. She is the Moabite who returned with Naomi. She asked permission to pick up grain, and she's been working hard here all day. So Boaz went uh, across the field, and she went to talk to Ruth. And she said, he said, hey, stay in these fields, okay, with the women who work here. Um, I've told the men not to lay a hand on you. Uh, so when you get thirsty, help yourself to the water jars that, you know, that the men use. Like, you are safe here, stay here. Ruth bowed uh, before Boaz and said, why are you treating me so kindly? I'm a, I'm a foreigner. And Boaz says, I have been told how you have cared for Naomi, under whose wings you have taken refuge. Even though, um, Ruth Ruth says, yeah, but even though I am lower than one of your servants, you have been so kind to me and put me at ease. Ruth was kind to Naomi, and now someone is being kind to Ruth. At mealtime, Boaz invited her to eat with the other harvesters. He said, hey, have some bread, dip it in the wine vinegar, and he offered her roasted grain, and Ruth ate all that she wanted. And then she got up to continue working, and Boaz gave her some secret orders. He said, let to, to, to his men, he said, let her gather among the sheaves without telling her off. Like, just let her be. Treat her with respect, in other words, what he's saying. Even pull out some stalks from the bundles and drop them. Like, let her gather a lot. So Ruth um, worked there. She threshed the barley that she had gathered and took it home to Naomi, and it was a huge amount, like 13 kilograms or something. And she also brought Naomi the leftover food from the meal that she'd had with the men that were there. So Naomi's like, well, where did you gather grain today? I mean, this is pretty great. And who is the, mind that, who is the man that has been so kind uh, to you? Ruth said, oh, Boaz. You know, this guy named Boaz. Naomi says, well, the Lord bless him. He's actually a close relative. And we, um, we know he is a guardian uh, redeemer. So he has an obligation to look after a relative who's in need. So from that point on, Ruth continued gathering grain in the fields belonging to Boaz. She stayed close to the other woman gathering grain, knowing she'd be safe. And she worked hard in the barley harvest and then into the wheat harvest. So she's there quite a while. It wasn't like, as we read it, we think oh, that was like a couple of days, but there's a whole barley harvest and then there's the whole wheat harvest. So I don't know, how long does that take? Who, who harvests barley? And I don't know, but probably a long time, right? So she's gone there through two harvests and now we're into chapter three. One day, uh, Naomi... Uh, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, you have to have a future. You need to be provided for. Like, this, this isn't going to last forever. So tonight, uh, Boaz will be winnowing barley. I want you to do a few things. Wash, okay, put on perfume, uh, dress in your best clothes, and then she told Ruth um, what to do next. So Ruth made her way uh, down to the threshing floor where Boaz was working, making sure she was not seen. And this is what um, Naomi had told Ruth to do. So when Boaz had finished eating and drinking, and he lay down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth crept up to him while he was sleeping and uncovered uh, his feet. 
and then uh, lay down. Now, um, I just want to pause here for a second because this isn't really in the flannel graph version, um, but, but isn't that odd? Like waiting until this man has like had some alcohol and he's sleeping for the night and his threshing floor where, you know, she said wash and perfume, get, wear some nice clothes, put perfume on, and go uncover his um, feet and then uh, lie down beside him. So there's different theories here, and uh, this is, we don't know Hebrew, right? But we know people who know Hebrew, and they tell us these things. So I'm not pretending to be a Hebrew scholar. I'm just pretending to be someone who's read about Hebrew scholars, okay, and what they say. And there's a lot of sexually charged language in here, uh, if you know Hebrew. You know, we have these words that we don't really want to say what it really means, and so we have another, like, euphemism for it. There's a lot of that going on in the Hebrew. So it's there's, there might be something else going on here, and some of it, you know, feet is, you know, a euphemism for another part of the body or something. So there's, there's definitely a different kind of atmosphere, an adult atmosphere going on here. Um, and so you might hear these, these theories, and I want you to know that, yes, it's true. And, um, but let me just continue before I make a comment on that. So next, so she uncovers his feet, and he's like, oh, he wakes up, and... Um, um, she says, oh, uh, he says, who are you? Right? There's this strange lady just uncovered my feet. She says, I'm your servant, Ruth. Um, spread the corner of your garment over me as you are a guardian redeemer of my family. See, the guardian redeemer was uh, someone obligated to look after a relative in need. So Boaz was related to Naomi's dead husband, Elimelech. And so he said, well, the Lord bless you. You have not run after younger men, and people, uh, people know you. Our, our people, they know you. Like, you have good character. Uh, I am your guardian redeemer, but actually there is another person. He says, more closely related than I am. And so uh, he gets uh, first dibs. It's kind of weird. I mean, we don't talk about women that way. We shouldn't, but back, they talk as if they were property. And so um, who, who does, he probably said things like, who does she belong to? And so he gets to have to, you know. So anyways, he gets first dibs. Um, and if he's not willing to redeem you, then I will. So Ruth stayed there until the mo- morning, and uh, Boaz just gave her tons of grain to take back again. And so uh, if you read, some people will say that there was definitely some other stuff going on that night. As I read the story, I don't think um, that it did happen, but I mean, we can have different opinions on this. Uh, later in chapter 4, it's very explicit that something did happen, and she has a baby. So I think... The author of the story is not shy in talking about what is happening. I think it just goes to show Boaz's character when all this was going on. He still did, he, he knew there was someone else that was closer, and so he's like, okay, no, wait. I know what you're saying. This is like a marriage proposal, but hang on. Let's not do anything. Let me talk uh, to this other man. So that's what he does. Um, so Boaz uh, goes to the town gate uh, where business, the next day, where business deals were done. He saw the guardian redeemer who was more closely related to Naomi than he was. And then he asked her to sit down with elders, because uh, this is how they did it, gathered as witnesses. And he said, hey, to this guy who's the guardian redeemer, this kinsman redeemer, says, you are, um, Naomi is selling the land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. You have the first right to buy it, but if you don't want to, then I will. Um, so the man's like, first he's like, yeah, I'm going to, for sure. And then Boaz says, but also, uh, it comes with Ruth. Like, she's part of the property. And then he's like, okay, well, maybe a second thought, um, it's just complicated, so no. And so he's like, I can't buy the land, so you, you buy it, and you take Ruth. So that is what happens. And the custom of the day was uh, to take off a sandal uh, when you're making a deal, and you give it to the other person. So um, I don't know why, but the guardian redeemer 
who had first dibs, had first choice on the land, took off his sound, gave it to Boaz. So there's, that's, that's how they did it, I guess. So Boaz made an announcement uh, to the elders and those gathered. He said, today I have bought from Naomi the property of Elimelech and his two sons, and I have also acquired Ruth, um, the Moabite. See, again, it's Ruth the Moabite okay, as my wife, and you are my witnesses, so now you know that this is how it happens. So Boaz married Ruth, and the Lord blessed them with a son. And then it's interesting, as you read near the end of chapter 4, the, the women told Naomi, like they didn't talk to Ruth, they said to Naomi, wow, praise the Lord, he has looked after you in your old age. Ruth loves you and is better to you than seven sons. And they said, they, the women of the, of, this, of the town, they praised Naomi and said, look, praise God because Naomi has a son. And we're thinking, well, I thought it was Ruth has a son, but they're saying, no, Naomi has um, a son. And so, um, and then Ruth um, and Boaz's son was called Obed. We read that earlier. In the gene- and then uh, Obed was the father of Jesse, who was the father of um, David. And David became king of Israel. And then David is also a descendant of Mary, the mother of Jesus. This is the story of Ruth, the um, flannel graph story. And let me just give credit where credit is due. This is from Free Bible Illustrations. You can go there and get all sorts of up-to-date, whatever, flannel graph, freebibles.org. It's used for free, as long as I don't sell it to you, and I'm not selling it to you. So that is um, the story um, of Ruth. But what do we do with that? Um, it's a fun story. Uh, it's a nice story. And... Um, but what is it doing, you know, in the scripture? This is a question that uh, many people have asked, and I'm taking my cues from Jewish scholars in the past, and they have said this scroll, because the book was in a scroll, this scroll tells us nothing, either of cleanliness or of uncleanliness, either of prohibition or permission. Like, what is it doing? For what purpose, then, was it written? This is a guy named Rabbi uh, Zera said this. So, you see, because they're the Jewish scriptures, they're, as you know, of things that are pro- prohibited. Like, you no, know, you can't eat this kind of meat. Uh, you can't do this on, on this kind of day. You can only do these certain things. And then, but these things are okay. And you can, you can do these kinds of things, but not these. So that was very useful for them. And they talked a lot about what is clean and what is unclean. So there's certain kinds of food that are clean. So you can eat these and these are unclean. But if you cook it a certain way, then you can, you know, what happens if you do become unclean? How do you get clean again? And what's the waiting period? And so that was very useful for them. But then they're like, but what was this? Like, this is a story of, like, what? Do you ever wonder, like, what, what was that? Why was it even, um, what's it doing? And so it complicates things a little bit further when you realize that um, in Jewish scriptures, there's laws and prohibitions like this. It says, no one born of a forbidden, no one born of a forbidden marriage, nor any of their descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord, not even in the 10th generation. And then the next verse says, no Ammonite or Moabite. Right? Who was a Moabite? Ruth, right? Or any of their descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord, not even in the 10th generation. So like, what? Like, Ruth, she's a Mo- So was Jesus part Moabite, I guess, if he's part of that lineage? So what is that? No Ammonite or Moabite or any of their descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord, not even in the 10th generation. So I can understand being, if I was a Jewish person back in the day, thinking, what is this doing here? Why do we have this in our scriptures? Does that make sense? You know, from, from our perspective, some people might be saying, well, yeah, I don't know, there's no theology, you know, it's not talking about end times or, or like, um, you know, what Jesus' death on the cross actually meant, so I don't really, yeah. Some people have tried to, try to find a place for Ruth by talking about the, the Redeemer and the kinsman Redeemer and how 
well, that's like foreshadowing Jesus, who is our kinsman redeemer. And, and um, you know, that makes sense. But I think there's so much more uh, to this story than just something like that. And it tells us, um, it tells us a lot about who God is. And again, I'm taking my cues from uh, Jewish scholars who said, this is what the purpose is. What do we have Ruth for? What is she doing here? To teach us how great is the reward of those who do deeds of kindness. This word, kindness. We don't have a good word for this in English. Sometimes it's translated as loyalty. Sometimes it's translated as loving, loving kindness or, or, or mercy. But this is at the core of who God is. And this word is uh, extremely crucial to our understanding of who God is. And it's this word, uh, hesed, or maybe chesed. So those of you who know these, like chesed, and it goes from, you know, opposite. We read this direction, they read the other direction, but it's translated as loving kindness or loyalty or mercy. And in fact, this word is so crucial. And one of our pastors has realized how crucial this is to his faith that he has a tattoo, chesed, on his leg. And we knew that, and we still hired him anyway. So I'm not going to tell you who it is, but please don't ask him to show you his legs after. Wait till the summer, you know, if there's... You know, short weather or something, but this is Hesed. This is a really core characteristic of who God is. And so Ruth, this whole story of Ruth tells us, teaches us how great is the reward of those who practice this kind of like thing, this Hesed. It's who God is. Remember when we talked about God and when he reveals himself to just people, says, this is who I am. The Lord, the Lord is compassionate and gracious and full of mercy and abounding in love. In his own words, this is how God is describing himself to his people. And these are, this is the word that he uses, this word said, And it appears several times throughout the story. When, first, when Naomi says to, to Ruth and uh, to uh, Orpah, I was thinking Oprah, right? but it's Orpah, um, just as you have been kind to me, this word, just you've been like said to me, may God be that to you. So go back to your own people. Naomi didn't really feel like God was being that to her, right? Because she felt very embittered towards him and she was angry at him. But she used these words, like, just as you have been kind to me, may God be kind to you, go back to your people. And then later, again, when um, Boaz decides to show kindness, you know, that's kind of a weak word, really, but it's kindness to Ruth because she was doing the same to her mother-in-law, right? I mean, that that's can be a very difficult relationship, these in-laws, right? But she's showing that, this, okay, to her mother. So then Moab says, I will show that to you. Even though you're a foreigner, even though you're a Moabite, which, ooh, I'm going to be that to you. And then at the very end, again, people say, this is, God has been kind to you, they say. So this is a really key theme of the story of Ruth, and it shows us a little bit about um, who God is. And so Ruth, remember, this is the question, what is she doing here? Why is Ruth a Moabite mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus Christ? Why has she come at the very beginning of this gospel, the good news of, of Jesus Christ? And so this is why she exemplifies, she shows a little bit about who, a lot, actually, who God is and what his character is. And so, and actually, so Rahab, same word, when Rahab showed loyalty, okay, we, it was translated about loyalty, but it's this word to the spies. And then Joshua also showed to Rahab and saved her. Her life. So as people are reading through this genealogy, oh, this is that story. Yeah, there's that loving kindness and loyalty and mercy of God. And they showed that to other people, and they were shown that by other people. And that's, that's, that's God. And so this is the gospel of Jesus Christ, taking an enemy, people known to be enemies of him, and, and incorporating it into their, the descendants of 
Jesus Christ. That's, that's just so perfect. So at the beginning of the book of Matthew, you know there's Matthew and there's Mark and there's Luke and there's John, and as you know, some of them are very similar and some of them are, some stories are different. We know that this is a key theme in Matthew because some of the stuff he talks about, no one else talks about. So for example, Matthew chapter 5, he says, this is, this, is, this is what Ruth is foreshadowing in the gospel of Matthew. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go like two miles. And you can remember back to the story of Ruth, perhaps. Also, Matthew 5 says, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute. Again, that reminds us. Ruth's story reminds us of that. Blessed are the merciful, he says. This would be kind of the New Testament version of this word, hased, for they will be shown um, mercy. Often we see people in the gospel of Matthew calling on God to help because and they, they rely on his mercy as the basis for giving me help. God, help me because you are merciful. You are compassionate. Have mercy on us, son of David, these two blind men who are following him. A Canaanite woman reminds us of Rahab. Wasn't she Canaanite as well? From that vicinity came to crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. In our prayers, we can appeal to God's said, his compassion, his mercy, his loving kindness. Again, Lord, have mercy on me. I'm just showing you some of these. They're in your notes too, and there's more that are in your notes that are not coming up on the screen here. Two blind men were sitting on the roadside again when they heard that Jesus was going by. They said, Lord, have mercy on us. You, this is my appeal to you. You are merciful, God, so have mercy. Answer my prayers. Have mercy on us. This is where Hosea, chapter 6, verse 6. You've heard this before, I'm sure. God says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Okay, an acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. I don't know why it's capital T. I know some of you are like, ooh, you're going to focus on that. Probably because you push return sometimes and it thinks it's a new sentence. But anyways, that's one sentence. For I desire mercy, not sacrifice, acknowledgement of God other than, rather than burnt offerings. God desires um, that our heart be merciful and compassionate, even more so than following any religious rules or religious obligations, whatever that might mean. I would have meant something back then. It would mean something different now. It's very easy for us to go through the motions. It's very easy for us to become busy, do religious activities, whatever that might be, but our heart is not really there. God desires mercy more than he does sacrifice. This is a key theme. This is repeated in Matthew. It is not repeated in Mark or Luke or John. So we know that Ruth is probably included in the genealogy of Jesus Christ at the beginning of the story of Jesus in Matthew because she belongs there, because she, above anyone else in the entire Bible, shows us this character of God, this mercy, this love, this loving kindness, this kind of, this kind of loyalty. So in your notes, you'll see one of these instances is um, here, Matthew chapter 8, where Jesus quotes from Hosea chapter 6. I went too far for my notes. I need to give me a second here. Drink your coffee. Take a breather. I, I wouldn't be giving you a preaching lesson right now. This is not how you preach. So Hosea chapter 6, verse 6, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Twice in Matthew, uh, Jesus repeats these words. He's quoting uh, from the Jewish scriptures. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. 
uh, the first time in Matthew chapter 9, verse 9 to 13, it's actually uh, when Matthew, who wrote this gospel, is being called. His calling, uh, Matthew the tax collector, again on the outskirts, people who are on the fringe, people who are not looked, liked uh, by many people. And Jesus calls to Matthew and says, hey, follow me. So Matthew got up and followed him. And people are like, what are you doing? Just, you hang around with people who are like sinners. Um, why do you like eat together? Why do you fellowship with these like weird people that don't belong? And Jesus said, well, listen, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. So go and learn what this means. It's in your scriptures. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. This is a key theme in Jesus' life. Practicing mercy, practicing kindness, generosity toward other people. Not only is this the characteristic of who God is, but he asks that of his people, people who follow him. Ruth was a great example of that. Like she wasn't thinking, I'm going to go back to Bethlehem and I'm going to just love on my mother-in-law and take care of her so that you know, I can get something out of it later. There was no hope. She was just doing it to be... And remember, Ruth, she lost, she lost her husband. And she had, like, someone should be taking care of her. And yet she's taking care of Naomi, who has become Mara, because she's so bitter. But she wasn't doing it in order to get a reward. She did get rewarded. And that's often a theme we see in scriptures too, that people who show kindness also receive kindness, but she's just doing it. That is um, something that God requires of us. It was funny, as I was going through this, Jacob, can you grab my phone and throw it to me? Because it's Ruth, I, the word Ruth, someone that I know from a long time ago, I called her Ruthie because she used to be my babysitter. Um, and uh, my brother reminded me of something. He didn't know I was going to be preaching on this, so I just wanted to share it with you, and I, I meant to bring this up here. So Ruthie is... So she's my babysitter, so she's, I don't know how many years older than me, right? And she's that much more older than I am now. And uh, so she, um, one day I, we were at this um, shopping mall in St. Catharines, Ontario, called the Penn Center, and um, our oldest was just in a stroller, so Polly and I were pushing, you know, sometimes we did that when it's cold outside, and walk around the mall, and, uh, and Ruth was there, and uh, she was crying. So Pauline's like, oh, let's stop and, and, uh, and sit down, and or at least ask her how she's doing. And so uh, we did that. And then uh, we ended up talking with her, and, and then my wife prayed with her, and then um, we got up and left. That was the end of it. But my brother, for some reason, he was rummaging around his house the other day, and he came across this note. So he sent it to me. And this is just, you know, we've just shown kindness. We weren't expecting, like, her to give us money or anything. We just, she didn't. But just, like, just showing kindness. We were... Um, You've done this many times. I know you have too, but so this is what happened. She said um, she was diagnosed as being unable to work for an unknown time due to psychotic episodes, back problems, and a mild state of depression. These things would affect my concentration and ability to hold a job. I don't know where this note came from, but she wrote it in her own words. And then around that time, I drove over to the Penn Center to get myself a calendar and a coffee from the Second Cup coffee shop. You know, sometimes there's coffee shops in the aisles, like in the hallways, and like a pop-up shop sort of it, but so she was there. That's where we saw her. While I was sitting there, drinking my coffee with tears in my eyes, Joel and Pauline Black were walking by, pushing their youngest one in the stroller. Okay, I don't know if it's the youngest or oldest one, but I said oldest. Um, when Pauline uh, came to me and said, are you all right, Ruth? See, that was the connection for me, Ruth to Ruth, the story of Ruth and the loving kindness. She said, I began to cry uncontrollably 
trying to tell her what I was going through. Pauline and Joel took some time to pray with me and cheer me up. They were not aware that once I finished my coffee, more coffee. They were not aware that once I finished my coffee, I was planning to go out I was planning to go out and smash my car to kill myself. She said the Lord used them to prevent me from committing suicide. We just stopped and talked and prayed. Like, you never know how God can use this. Part of his character, said, this loving kindness, this mercy. And Winnipeg is friendly. Friendly Manitoba, right? Except when you're driving in traffic. But, <laughs> but you people are very friendly. And our schools have these random, random act of kindness days, and there's chains that go on, right? Just take this thing and pass this. You never know, because that's... That's not from the enemy. That's from God, that kind of love. And we don't do it because we think, oh, if I'm nice to this person, they'll be nice to me. But often, that is what happens, right? What, when you're kind to other people, they are kind to you. So it's part of, we see in the book of Matthew, what Ruth is foreshadowing by being listed in the genealogy is part of um, a requirement that God has um, on his people. <clears throat> There's um, one other... Um, story when um, when Jesus um, tells a story and uh, he kind of says there's some dire consequences for those who do not respond um, to God's mercy with mercy toward others. God has been so compassionate to us, right? And so he would like us to be um, compassionate uh, to other people. And it is not there. That's, I'm just going to skip that one. You can look at it and you know it's after. Um, he talks about what the kingdom of heaven is like. And the kingdom of heaven is like um, a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants, right? Some of you remember the story. As he began the settlement, there's a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold. Okay, and this man was brought to him. He couldn't pay it, it was just too much. So since he couldn't pay it, um, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children, all that he had, be sold. I mean, that's awful, right? Selling everything, including your wife, and to repay the debt. So the servant fell on his knees before him and says, be patient with me, I'll pay back everything. Servant's master took pity on him and just canceled the debt. Okay, you're free. You owe me nothing at all. It was a huge debt, right? So that servant went out, and you remember what happened. He found one of his servants who owed him 100 silver coins, like not that much money. And he grabbed him, began to choke him, and said, pay back what you owe me. And his servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me, and I'll pay it back. But he refused. He had just been, his debt had just been, his huge debt had just been canceled by his his master, but he would not do the same for his servant. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay this small debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in, and this is what he said, these words. I'm just saying scripture. You wicked servant. That's what he said. You wicked servant. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. 
And then Jesus says this, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. God's compassion is huge and he's been so merciful to us. And so not only is this a picture of who God is and what kind of person God is like, it's also so what he would like us to do to others. Like we're passing that blessing on. We receive this blessing, but we don't just hog it to ourselves. We, we're able now to pass it on to other people. Well, and this is Ruth. She was like a great disciple of Jesus, even before Jesus was born. That's really what she was doing. And so this is God. He is so amazing, using this enemy of his own people, this Moabite person, to ensure that the line that Jesus is born through King David, and she's listed in this genealogy. So it's just so wonderful. Only God can use an enemy like that, right? Someone from a group of people known to be enemies of him to bring himself in and kindness. That's such a cheap word. It's, it's hased, right? But we don't have that kind of word. But you understand when it's compassionate and loyalty, loving kindness of, of who God is. That's how he treats us. Ruth was an example of that, and that's how we treat others. When I first came to Winnipeg, I was so impressed by this Tim Hortons over here in Beaver Hill, because shortly after moving here, they had this, you know, where you pay for the person behind you, and one person paid for the person behind him, and then that person got up to the window and said, oh, okay, I'll pay for that person. Maybe you remember the story. It went on for over three hours. I mean, it's a busy Tim Hortons, or it must have been a Saturday morning when there's like little tykes playing soccer. Anyway, it was just like, for three and a half hours or so when I was in the Winnipeg Free Press, I thought, well, that's like, that's cool. One little random act of kindness. And I mean, someone stopped it. That person was, but maybe you were part of that because I know some of you used that Tim Hortons, but that's pretty cool, right? So just, you think it's a random act of kindness. You think you're just stopping to pray with someone or, or just show a little compassion, but God will use that to save someone's life, perhaps. He'll just, just be kind and loving because God has been that for us. And I think that's what Ruth is doing here in this genealogy of Jesus Christ, someone like that. And as we read the rest of the gospel, you're going to see that this is a common theme of who God is and how he expects his people to act. Let me pray, and then uh, we'll sing a song and send you off. Heavenly Father, you are a good God. You're loving and compassionate and gracious, and you love to forgive. Let us not forget those things, because we often do. So we're sorry for when we do forget that. And we're sorry for when we think of you differently. God, we love you. Fill us with your love just so we can be loving to other people.